Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Kia ora, hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Richard Wayne. In the programme this week, a big week for good and bad reasons for New Zealand cricket. Super Rugby hits squeaky bum time as the playoffs loom large. We talk to a Breakers legend about why he's come out of retirement for the National Basketball League finals. We meet the new Wellington Phoenix striker and we talk the demise of the Italian Grand Prix with Chris Amon. But we start with cricket. And while the Black Caps completed an historic Test Series win in the West Indies this week, their feat's been unfortunately overshadowed by another far more sinister development in the game. My name is Lou Vincent and I am a cheat. I've abused my position as a professional sportsman on a number of occasions by choosing to accept money and fixing. That's the former Black Caps batsman Lou Vincent speaking out about his match and spot fixing for which he's been banned for life from cricket. It's a truth that has rightly caused uproar and controversy in New Zealand and around the world. I've shamed my country. I've shamed my sport. I've shamed those close to me. And for that I'm not proud. I lost faith in myself and the game. I abused the game I love. I had to put things right. Lou Vincent. But the New Zealand Cricket Players Association says imposing that life ban on Vincent suggests that the cricket officials aren't actually interested in ridding the game of fixing. The head of the NZCPA, Heath Mills, told our cricket reporter Stephen Hewson that banning Vincent for life when he cooperated with the investigation won't encourage other players to come forward when they may have information about fixing. The anti-corruption officers uh, rely heavily on players reporting and providing information and in fact it's actually virtually their only tool in the fight against corruption is is players coming forward and providing information um, as they don't have police powers and don't have any other tools really to 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 investigate heavily so all the life being uh, being handed out to a player who's done exactly that provided information all that achieves is discourage anyone else from from doing so in the future and from coming forward so Given that fact, you have to wonder if the people making these decisions are actually interested in solving the problem of corruption in sport at all. Um, it, it just seems rather absurd. Is that that's obviously the message you feel is being delivered here? Don't don't come forward because if Lou Vincent, for example, had possibly kept his mouth shut, he, he might have got a ban of, of much less had he been found out. The sanction in light of uh, the information that he appears to have given doesn't correlate. So, you know, if players are looking at this, they, they, I'm sure they're asking questions, you know, why, why would I come forward and provide information if, I, if I've made a mistake and, and tell my story, um, provide information, I'm, I'm still going to be banned for life. So I don't think it's overly smart by, by the people who are making these decisions. We want players to be coming forward, providing information and helping in the fight against corruption. So I, I think the sanction here 
kind of flies in the face of encouraging players to do the right thing. Has he got any room for appeal? Uh, on my understanding that this is, is, this is a, a full and final uh, agreed sanction, so I don't think there's any room for appeal. And my, my sense is that Lou is very comfortable in, in, in telling his story and then whatever sanctions are imposed on him, he, he, he will accept. Is there a danger that, given the, all the investigations going on, that Lou Vincent is the, actually the only one that ends up suffering a punishment? And, and that is possibly the reason why the cricketing powers have, have come down so hard, they can at least sit there and say, look, we've instituted a life ban. Yeah, look, I don't know where the investigations are at and uh, where they're at with other people um, at all, and I, and I wouldn't want to comment on any of that, given that there's, there's potentially judicial processes to follow. Um, I, I, I'm really struggling to understand the motivation behind the life ban, and, and it's not just Lou Vincent. I think we saw a, a Pakistani player in England uh, recently who was also given a life ban. Um, but I, I just think the whole, whole concept needs to be looked at. We, we're really trying to... Uh, encourage people to be positive and proactive and coming forward, even if they may have made a mistake previously, uh, to come forward and help in the in the bigger bigger fight against corruption uh, in sport. Um, and I, I just don't see how we're encouraging players to do that. So, does the International Players Association take this up with the ICC? Oh, look, they, they have. Uh, I, I well imagine that. Uh, FICA will, uh, in conversations with people at the ICC, um, will raise this concern. However, we will also need to remember that the ICC is only now an event management company. Uh, with the changes in the constitution last week, the ICC works for the member boards, and particularly the big three member boards. Um, it runs ICC events and provides umpires for international cricket. So you know, I'm, I'm not sure if the ICC has uh, any ability or authority to do anything without the permission of the big three. So, um, you know, who you raise these problems with, I'm not really too sure at the moment. What sort of space is Lou in now? Um, look, I, I've had a couple of conversations with Lou, and I, I think you know, he certainly appears to be doing a lot better than he was a year ago um, and seems to be po- more positive about the future than, than he's ever been. So um, I get the impression that this process has been good for him. Uh, and, and uh, you know, coming forward and telling his story has helped him deal with a number of issues he's had in his personal life. Do you see a role for him in an education program? Look, I, I, you know, obviously we need to let the dust settle uh, on, on what's happened with him and, and his penalty and sanction, but I think any time you can get players talking about their experiences and sharing their stories, or any athlete doing that, it's a really useful tool in, in, in educating um, other athletes on what to look out for and, and, and how to avoid the mistakes that they've made. So I think any time you can involve a player uh, who's, who's, who's committed these offences in your education programme, uh, the better. So you know, I'm sure in time there, there may well be a role for him in education. What about the, the general feeling amongst players that you've spoken to, given Lou's recent comments? Where... where where do things sit as far as they're concerned? Oh, I think everyone within cricket, and we're all uh, disappointed with what's happened. There's no question about that. And you know, Lou's made some pretty serious mistakes, uh, and he needs to be sanctioned heavily for that. No one would argue that. Um, however, I do sense there is a degree of empathy um, amongst the player group for his situation. And I think people are encouraged that he is, has actually come forward uh, and, and told his story uh, and been cooperative and provided information. Because I think, you know, 
players around the world have long suspected that there are people who, who know information, um, who have seen suspicious activity and have, have, have said nothing. So I think the player group um, respects him for doing what he's done. Um, but also, uh, the player group's very strong in the view they, they, they want, they want um, corruption and this sort of activity taken away from the sport. Lou Vincent has said that he would like to meet face-to-face with some of his former teammates. Will the Players Association be helping facilitate that? Well, that's really for Lou to, to do. Um, but, you know, if he requires us to to help him and can connect him with people, we'll do that. And I understand that it has already happened uh, a little bit. So, um, yeah, look, I think it's really important. He, he, uh, I understand he feels quite strongly about... Um, you know, apologising to people directly, uh, which I think is another good step for him to take, really. And I'd be surprised if people wouldn't at least listen to him. Who's, who's he met with? Oh, I can't go into that. Um, sorry, um, Stephen, yeah, that would be inappropriate for me to, to talk about who, who he's uh, speaking to, and, and I won't know everyone at all any, anyway. So, um, But I, I do know he's keen to do that um, and, and has looked to, to catch up with people and, and, and apologise directly, which I, I think is a positive step for him to be taken. I mean, given the ban is so widespread on what he can and can't do. He can't, for example, go and watch maybe his kids play a cricket game on a cricket ground. Even links with the Players Association, is that still viable? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, we would support any um, past player or member who you know had, had was going through any difficulties in their life, um, rightly or wrongly. They, you know, we're not in the business of completely abandoning people. Um, so, you know, if he uh, needed ongoing support or services from us. Um, particularly around his personal health and well-being, then, then, then we would absolutely provide what we could in that regard. So, um, now we're not in the business of banning people. It's interesting, the life ban, I, I understand that he, you know, he's unable to, to be involved uh, in any cricket activity or step foot on a cricket field. Um, I, do, I do possibly wonder um, about what, if he, if he did uh, step on a cricket field um, or attend a cricket match, what further sanction... Uh, he could receive for doing so. Maybe that might apply to the afterlife. I'm not entirely sure with, with, with this life ban situation. So yeah, we'll have to wait and see how that all unfolds, I guess. Heath Mills speaking to Stephen Hewson. And indeed, it seems there may be much more to that story that's yet to come out. But on to happier things and the actual game of cricket now, where the New Zealand men have posted their second ever Test Series win in the West Indies. The Black Caps' victory in the decisive third and final test in Barbados wrapped up their third test series win in a row and their first test victory over a top eight nation away from home in 12 years. Brennan McCullum's team now turned their focus to the 2020 form of the game with the two sides playing two matches in Dominica. The tourists are using the same players who were involved in the test series. One of the Black Caps' stars of last summer, the all-rounder Corey Anderson, is chomping at the bit to get involved after missing out on playing in the Test Series. Anderson speaks to Barry Guy. Yeah, it's always uh, you know disappointing when you're, I guess, left out of a side, but I guess to, to be in a front-row seat to watch what unfolded in the last few weeks with a pretty historic sort of uh, tour was uh, was was pretty pretty enjoyable. So, um, yeah, it's... As much as there was disappointment, it was obviously a lot of um, excitement and still I'm very proud of what the guys put in over the last month. I imagine making the test side is one of your aims though. Yeah, definitely is. You know, it's it's a spot that I think um, I want to try and, you know, cement and I I think if it wasn't for a little mishap with the neck, then I potentially might have been playing in that first one and uh, the tour might have been slightly different, but in the same tense, you know, Jimmy did a really good job and 
I've got to push myself a little bit more now to to try and I guess get that back off him or or find another way into the side. Do you see it perhaps as a little bit of a, a rivalry between you and Jimmy Neesham? Um, no, I guess it's probably it's easier look at it like that. Obviously, I guess two two all rounders and guys whose game are based around uh, a bit of power and I don't I think it's just a, a something good that New Zealand cricket I guess hasn't hasn't had of recent times. I suppose Brendan McCullum and Mike Hesson are quite happy to have you sort of pitching yourself against each other, perhaps. Yeah, it's probably a, a headache that they'd probably welcome rather than sort of turn away. So, um, yeah, I think it's putting us in a better position having, I guess, more guys available to potentially fill that spot anyway. So, really, your last major lot of cricket was the IPL in India. What have you taken from that? Um, yeah, that was a, it was a very different tournament to what I, I thought it would be and, and what it what I'm used to, I guess, with some of the international stuff and obviously domestic stuff, it was a very, uh, I guess, high-pressure situations. More, more from what was expected of you, I guess. You've got a price tag on you, and you, you basically asked to perform um, day in, day out, which you always want to do. But um, it feels like a few more eyes are on you. So I think I got a little bit better as the tournament went on, and started to relax, relax a little bit more. And I got used to it after that, and it's. Um, and yeah, hopefully, I mean, if I go back next year, that'll be that'll be really good. And um, it's sort of, I guess, taught me a few more things, especially when coming back to international stuff as well, to handle a few more pressures that go on in the game. So that that's the key thing, perhaps. You're you're better because of that now. Yeah, I think I definitely think so. You know, you're you're playing some of the world's best cricketers, and in one stage, even though it's only 2020, it's it's you're still playing them and having to face them and and bowl against them, and it's all part of a learning experience. So. Um, I guess it's there's no better time than when it was, and obviously a World Cup year, you you start seeing what guys can potentially do and and how you can I guess counter it. And the, and the limited overs part of the game now, that's pretty much the focus through to the World Cup now. So is, is that good for you? You know, concentrating on the shorter version of the game. Yeah, I, I think so. I think everyone in the back of their mind, obviously, we've got. I think I think there's about five more Test matches uh, left in the year before the before the World Cup. So. Obviously, those are there, but there's a lot of one days coming up as well. So um, I think once we get into the one, into the white ball cricket, then um, it'll start getting a bit of a roll on, and hopefully, guys find uh, form at the right times, and uh, and then we go from there and make a really good run for it. It was a bit disappointing, I suppose, with the success, especially the third test taking the series. That you know the headlines for cricket back here were for some other things, Lou Vincent and the like. You know, has the have the players sort of uh, been a bit annoyed about? You're not getting your fair dues, perhaps? Um, no, I, I don't think so. You know, it's always it's disappointing to, I guess, have an event like that happen in, in the sport. But I guess the investigation and what's been going on has been going on for a wee while now. And I know we got asked these questions, I guess, during the summer as well. And even though you know it's there and you know it's in the media, I think you do your best to ignore it and, um, and and try and get on with the job at hand and I think I think we have and you know it's it's nice to get praises from from New Zealand and uh, I, I guess we're not we're not the All Blacks but um, it, it's nice to hear good things coming out of New Zealand from obviously us and putting us on the map a bit more over the last uh, sort of I guess year and a half as well. That's the Black Caps all-rounder Corey Anderson talking to our sports editor, Barry Guy. And this is Extra Time, a web-only programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Richard Wayne. Still to come, we talk basketball ahead of the national finals with Paul Hanare. We talk Monza with Chris Amon. 
and we meet the Wellington Phoenix's new signing. Now, it's what Manchester United legend Sir Alex Ferguson called squeaky bum time in the Super Rugby competition. Heading into the penultimate round, New Zealand rugby boss Steve Chew's pretty happy with where all five local franchises sit. That competition is obviously now at a pretty important juncture and I think worth noting that we've still got five teams that mathematically can make the playoffs, which you have to say is not a, not a bad competition and not a bad performance. May come back and bite us in terms of where we all end up and who has to travel where by the end of it, but that's the nature of the beast. Yes, this year's super competition appears tighter than ever. The Chiefs host the Hurricanes with both teams desperate to win. Then it's the Crusaders hosting the Blues in Christchurch. The Blues are in bottom spot in their local conference, but they thrashed the Western Force last weekend in Perth. And the Auckland-based side can still scrape into the playoffs with two more wins. For their part, the Crusaders are top here and can seal their playoffs place with victory. Fit again, Captain Kieran Reid is finally over his concussion problems and he gets a start against the Blues. Reid knows it's crunch time. Oh, it certainly is. You know, we're heading to that point of, you know, you've got to be winning these games if you want to go further in this competition. So, you know, we're really excited about that. You know, the challenge, especially the way the Blues are playing. We know it's massive. It's great for us to be at home. But any Blues Crusader game is huge. And, you know, they're coming down really with a must-win attitude. And that's probably where we are at as well. You know, it has ramped up. You know, it's great to be playing at this part of the season and still being with a shot so you know, we're looking forward to, to doing it well this week. It's been a bit of a struggle this year for the Crusaders to break the opposition's D hasn't it? It's probably haven't quite scored as many tries as, as he probably want to. Um, yeah yes and no. I think there's been patches where it's been really good you know but defence goes a long way to winning championships so we'll be looking for that to, to really lead our, our side this week again. Tactically we've been playing Ohio West at 10, I mean would you expect them to play the real running game rather than the king games that you see a lot of the other sides employed? Yeah I think so, I think you know they are searching for points I guess and um, you know he's, he's a man who's very talented in that area so you know we're prepared for the way they play, it's obviously a bit different kettle of fish uh, in Christchurch and Perth but um, you know we'll look to put as much pressure on them as we can. Kieran Reid of the Crusaders. On Sunday, the Highlanders can book their first trip to the finals in more than a decade with victory over the New South Wales Waratahs in Sydney. This is Extra Time. Coming up, new Wellington Phoenix signing Nathan Burns and motor racing icon Chris Amon. Well, it's finals weekend in the National Basketball League with the top team this year, Hawke's Bay, facing defending champions the Southland Sharks while the Wellington Saints take on the Nelson Giants. The winners of those semi-finals meet in the grand final on Saturday, with all games taking place at Wellington's TSB Arena. Southland are coached by former Tall Blacks and Breakers point guard Paul Henare, and the Sharks have had plenty of adversity to contend with en route to the playoffs, notably their players Ruben Tairangi, Leon Henry and Shay Ely being arrested and charged with assault following a brawl in New Plymouth. That forced Henare to come out of retirement and suit up for one final stint. I started by asking Hinare if he believes his Sharks can win it again and go back-to-back. Short answer, yes. Yes, we can. We can definitely go back-to-back. We feel like we've got the team that can do it. Is it going to be hard? Yeah, definitely. It's a tough, tough ask in this environment. And we're coming up against the number one team in Hawke's Bay and probably the most consistent team throughout the whole season as well. So, you know, there's going to be a battle. But like I said, we're confident. You know, I'm confident in my team and in my group, and the guys are feeling confident as well. In the same breath, we realise the uh, the challenge that we have in front of us. How's your team's form heading into the finals? Because Hawks Bay might have had the best record over the season, but perhaps their form isn't quite as good as maybe the teams in the other semi-final, for example. 
Oh, look, I mean, I can only speak for, for, for my team. You know, what I've seen from Hawke's Bay is that, uh, you know, throughout, like I said, throughout the season, they've been pretty consistent. Didn't lose at home. Um, you know, only lost three games in the whole year. So, you know, to me, that's a that's a pretty 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 good form um, to have. And, and they, they had guys sitting out the last couple of weeks as well um, through injuries and unavailability and things like that. So that may have something to do with the way that some of those games were played. But for us, you know, once we knew we were in the finals, it was it was a good opportunity for me to really manage the team and manage the minutes and the time um, that the guys play in the last weekend. You know, leading up to that, the you know, the previous sort of three to four weekends, we'd had double headers and some of our guys were, you know, Kevin Braswell and Brian Conklin and, and, and Luke Martin were playing, you know, really, really heavy minutes because of our depleted squad. So um, it was a good chance to rest them and, and get them freshened up and you know, the energy's good and the excitement's here, which is what you need at this time of year. Kevin Bracewell, uh, Brian Conklin, obviously key. Are you key too? Obviously, you've made a comeback yourself in, the, what, the last five games or so? <laughs> no, I'm definitely not key. I'm a has-been. Um, I'm just there to, uh, you know, I was only ever there just to, to rest, um, really just rest sort of Luke Martin, Kevin Braswell, um, and, and sometimes Pookie Linden, just uh, play a few minutes here and there while those, those guys have a break. You know, I'm not going to lie, it has been fun. Being back out on the court again, but you know, I definitely prefer at this stage of, of my career just to be on the sidelines and uh, you know, without the playing uniform on for sure. Uh, you're, forgive me if I'm wrong. You're only 35, aren't you? Yep, 35, but probably got a body of a uh, 45-year-old or ankles <laughs> and knees of a 45-year-old. <laughs> so I got Pierre Cameron in the background telling me he's on 25. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I look, you know. I feel physically now that I can contribute at this level, you know, after after a few games and, and getting a few minutes under my belt. But uh, yeah, I mean, one of the reasons why I stepped away from playing is because the body was was starting to break down, and uh, you know, touch wood, I've, I've I've been able to get through this little patch, uh, this little comeback period. So, but I'll be more than happy just to to stick on the sidelines. So you don't reckon you'll be um, suiting yourself up on Friday night? Oh, I'll definitely be suiting up. But as I said, it's more just as a, you know, I'm, I'm a role player. Yep. You know, I've got my main guys out there. And, you know, if, if, if there's an injury or foul trouble, or like I said, just to rest certain guys, um, I'll, I'll be taking the court. So, you know, I will play a few minutes out there. But um, but hopefully that role won't be a, a huge, huge minute type role because that will mean the other guys are going well and staying out of foul trouble and, uh, and injury free. Obviously, the re- well, I think one of the reasons, or probably the reason, that you were suiting up was because of the, the trio who got into trouble. Has that brought the team closer together, the bit of adversity there and, and being up against it like that? Yeah, I definitely think we've had our challenges this year. And, um, you know, the, the guys have they've come together and, as a group and as a unit and, uh, you know, been able to get through some, some pretty tough times. And I think uh, our, our experiences this year will um, have prepared us well for what will be, a, you know, another tough challenge this weekend. And of course, there's a, a personal rivalry here, I suppose. I mean, you you come from Hawks Bay, right? And Hawks Bay was uh, the Hawks were your first coaching job after the Breakers. Would beating them to reach the final be more satisfying in light of that? Oh, look, no. On the fans, would be no. It wouldn't be more satisfying. You know, it doesn't matter who I'm who I'm coaching or playing for. Um, it never mattered who I was playing for when I was playing. Um, whoever I came up against, I wanted to beat them just as much as as anybody else. Um, and I can say that with, with hand on heart, you know, if, if we're playing the Nelson Giants or Wellington Saints, I'll be feeling exactly the same way. Um, it's a special time of year to be playing and, you know, you give yourself a chance to win and, and hold up a trophy at the end of it. So um, that's all that really matters for me. What do you think of the format where uh, it's been this way for a few years now? I think maybe 2010, maybe three or four years now that they've had the semis in the final across two days. Uh, what, what do you reckon? I mean, I suppose it's tough on all the guys and they're all in the same situation. Yeah, in terms of the format, in terms of the back-to-back, you know, I don't mind that. But um, 
Yeah, I do have to say I don't like the format in terms of the, the Final Four format. You know, more because you know teams like Hawks Bay this year, Wellington Saints last year, there's no reward for finishing the season in first place if you're not hosting the Final Four weekend. You know, as, as Wellington, you know, had a great season last year, went to Hawks Bay and had no home court advantage. Hawks Bay this year have you know a franchise best record um, and have to play us on a, on a neutral ground. I can say this now because it's not me complaining about home court advantage. You know, so I can see you know other teams that are missing out on uh, on the reward of playing so well and playing so consistently throughout the season. So I'd like I'd like to see it changed to, to home and away semi-finals, um, if not quarter-finals as well. Um, you know, you, you you play the regular season not only to put yourself in a in a position to to win a championship, but to have home court advantage. It happens in in all sports, and basketball is a big one on that one. And you know, if you ask any coach or player if they finish first, where would they prefer to play? And I guarantee you, everyone would say they prefer to play at home rather than on a neutral floor. But that's just my personal opinion. Um, I just think it's you know something that should be at least discussed. You can throw in the argument of, of Sky Television um, coverage. It's easier for them to go to the one venue and televise the games, you know, the cost from a cost point of view, you can plan and, and really promote and sell where the final is going to be if you have it this way. So, I mean, there's arguments either way, but like I said, my personal opinion would be to have a home and away advantage for the top teams. Southland basketball coach Paul Hinade. The NBL finals also see another former Tall Blacks star, Phil Jones, play his last game, or games. If Jones can help his beloved Nelson Giants win a fourth national title, then history will repeat Jones will emulate his former Giants and Tall Blacks teammate Ed Book by taking out the title as he bows out of the sport. To Wellington Airport now, where the Wellington Phoenix Football Club unveiled their latest signing, the Australian winger or striker Nathan Burns. The 26-year-old former Socceroo told a media scrum just why he crossed the Tasman to play for the lowly Phoenix, one key reason being the Knicks' coach Ernie Merrick. The A-League is very attractive right now. The league's getting better every year, so I think that's a, one of the attractions to come to the A-League. And Ernie was um, very convincing, and I had a good chat with him. Basically, I'm pretty excited to play under him. I mean, do you think coming to the A-League is going to help your Socceroos chances again? Is that an ambition still? Oh, it's always a hope. You know, you always want to get back in the Socceroos, so that's, that's what I'm hoping for. But, um, yeah, we'll focus on that later. Just get the club football right, and then the national team stuff kind of comes along with that. Aussies haven't always been, you know, desperate to come to Wellington and stuff like that. Do you think you're maybe an example of, uh, you know, you might sort of set a bit of a precedent here that guys can come over and uh, be excited about coming to the Phoenix? I think so. I don't know why they don't come. I don't know. Maybe it's more like it's good to promote the New Zealand footballers as well to have as many as you can. Yeah, there's no reason why Aussies don't want to come over here. Um, it's a great city. It's not that long of a flight. It's a couple of hours, but you travel a lot in the A-League anyways. Phoenix is not exactly a very strong side. What? What's the appeal? Um, we're going to make it a strong side, hopefully. You know, when I was playing for Adelaide, we were always a top team, the top one or two. Before I left Newcastle, we are sitting around third or whatever. So, you know, hopefully I'm coming to a, a strong team and we, we hope to be in the, the top six this year. The owners are very good. They've got good backings. So there's no reason why they can't be in the top six and even push for, for even further results, especially with the A-League having a, a salary cap. Everyone's fair game at the start of the season. So when Ernie spoke to you, what, what, what clinched it for you? The style of football. And me personally, I love, I've always admired the way he coaches. I think he's very relaxed and, and very calm. And for me, I think that's a good thing. I don't like, really like coaches yelling on game day because you know they have all week to prepare. And basically on game day, you've got to let the footballers play. 
people were yelling. It's kind of like saying they haven't done their job all week, you know what I mean? So I really expect respect how he, he coaches, goes around around his methods. And um, probably, yeah, definitely I've heard from other players also from Melbourne when, when he was there that he was good at the training sessions, very intense, keeps a high level. So that's what I'm after. What are your expectations for yourself coming in, the guys, the likes of... Carlos Hernandez, for example, is you know going a guy that was pretty influential last year. Do you look to try and you know play an influential role yourself? Yeah, obviously I have a lot of expectation on myself. Um, I always have. I always push myself. But yeah, obviously I bring something different. You know, I don't like compare myself to Hernandez or anyone like that. I'm very different. So hopefully I can bring my style to the team. What is your style? That's a very open question. I don't know. In what on or off the field, football wise, I don't know. What, what? on the field? Ah, well, I'm very um, obviously agile, and um, I can play several different positions. Yeah, it's, it's, we'll see. We'll see how Ernie sets the team up, and then I'll, hopefully I can adapt to his style. And your style off the field? Uh, for me, I, I'm not. Uh, I, I like to do, let the football do the talking. Um, I'm not one of the guys in the change room who pumps people up and this that. I like to you know, individually help the younger players, whatever, and just go about my thing and. Trying to try and be involved in the, the team as much as possible. So um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. And um, you know, the longer I stay here, the more I'll gel and be a lot, a lot closer with a lot of the players, I suppose. But it's really hard to say what type of uh, impact I'll have just now. And Nathan Burns has signed a two-year deal with the Phoenix. Finally, on extra time, Formula One chief Bernie Eccleston is ready to drop the historic Italian Grand Prix from the race calendar in two years. Eccleston's described the current deal as a commercial disaster. The race at Monza has been part of the sport since the birth of the World Championship way back in 1922. It's one of the most famous and beloved tracks on the circuit. Checkpoint host Jane Patterson spoke with former New Zealand Formula One driver Chris Amon. Amon says he can't believe Monza could be doomed. They always get tremendous crowds there. Uh, I I don't know what you have to do to make a contract work. Um, Unfortunately, it's a bit of a sign of the times. The um, Formula One seems to be going off to all these obscure places, well, I say obscure, but places way outside its traditional base. And some of the circuits, they, uh, they're going to a very characterless, um, but nevertheless, they're quite glitzy, and I, I guess that's what it's all about nowadays. Do you think it's driven now by TV ratings and money as much as tradition and, and maybe history? Oh, I think totally driven by TV ratings and money. I think, um, uh, unfortunately, the... The historical part uh, doesn't play second fiddle. I think it plays about fifth fiddle. It's um, no very much all the commercial thing now. You've driven a few thousand laps around Monza yourself. Great memories of the track. Yes, I've got mixed memories of Monza. Actually, I've had two of the biggest accidents of my racing career at Monza. The uh, first year I went over there in uh, 1963, um, second day of practice, I managed to. Uh, end up in the trees and um, with some broken ribs etc in fact it was the only time I really hurt myself um, in Formula 1 but uh, I had another huge accident in 1968 uh, when an oil line came off and I ended up somersaulting through the trees at about 300 k's an hour and walked out without a scratch so I can cut myself lucky but on the uh, more positive side I um, I won the 1,000-kilometre sports car race there with a Ferrari with uh, 
Lorenzo Bandini in 1967, which was a great memory. Formula One-wise, I never had a lot of success there. I was actually leading the 1971 race with about four laps to go and tore off one of these um, um, tear-off flaps that you have over your visor and managed to pull the whole visor off and um, suddenly had a 300k blast of wind in my face. That <laughs> was uh, ended up finishing sixth, I think. But uh, so I never had a lot of Formula One success there, but I. We obviously used uh, Monza as a test venue quite a lot when we were at Ferrari because it was um, you know, an hour up the road basically. So I've um, you know I've done uh, literally thousands of laps around there. So I've got some very very fond memories of it. What do you think the reaction's going to be from Italy and the Ferrari team in particular? Well, I, th- I think from um, from the point of view of the Italian fans, I think it'll be um, there'll be a lot of reaction. I, I, you know, they're so enthusiastic, and this is one of the tragedies. I think, um, uh, you know, probably one of the most enthusiastic fan bases that uh, that exists in the world, and um, to uh, to have that taken away is, um, I, I think, it's appalling. Do you think that it might still be saved if the public sentiment is strong enough? Well, you would hope so. I think Bernie sometimes floats a bit of a boat to get some reactions and to get his own way in the long term. So this may be part of the new contract negotiations, Um, you know, by saying, no, you're definitely gone. That's his starting point. Uh, I certainly hope that's the case. That's Chris Amon speaking to Checkpoint host Jane Patterson. And that's the show for this week. Thanks very much for listening. Feedback's always welcome. Sport at radioNZ.co.nz. You can, of course, get the latest sports news anytime on our website. And we'll be back with the next web-only Extra Time show next week. I'm Richard Wayne. Ka kite. Bye for now. Botox Cosmetic. Out of botulinum toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So... Talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.